Hello, this is Josh, and you're listening to The Invitation. In this spiritual conversation, Trevor Hudson encourages us to go deeply in our worship traditions, to pursue the treasure of Jesus through the vessel of our churches. And then we kind of have vessels, and, and, and every vessel has its treasures and gifts and its flaws and its cracks, and there's no perfect vessel. But I do think that that while we stay very close to the treasure, usually we find a vessel that helps us to get into that treasure, you know, a Wesleyan vessel or an Ignatian vessel or a, uh, a Franciscan vessel. And it's not to say that it's the best, um, but it's a, it's a way in which we really explore the uh, wonder of the treasure. There is much that can be said about the purpose of a church. Here in this conversation, Trevor Hudson borrows the vocabulary of Dallas Willard to say that the church is a vessel intended to contain the treasure of God's presence, the life, love, and truth of Jesus. Yet, how does the church particularly serve as a vessel that stewards the treasure? How can a church contain the treasure of God? In my recent email announcing the most recent episode, I asked you to consider, what if the marquees we post outside our churches read something like, Come on in and get yourself a nice hot cup of dye to yourself. What I mean here is that as we respond to Jesus' invitation to be a disciple, to follow after him and learn his ways, the Holy Spirit will continually offer us new opportunities to unlearn and to rediscover anew the essentials of our existence. As you fall deeper in love with Jesus, reality as you know it will be redefined. Old things will go away, and new access to the treasure of Jesus will be found. The older, unhelpful ideas about yourself, the world, and old ideas about God are sometimes adjusted or even completely overhauled by fresh discoveries of God's presence and love. This process of transformation is delightful, full of hope and more love, yet Transformation is also most often a slow, painful journey of surrendering myself to God, of presenting my whole self, all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, to present myself to God as a living sacrifice. As mentioned earlier this last summer, My spiritual mother described this prayerful journey as holy agony. It's a matter 
of drinking that nice hot cup of dying to myself. So what if our churches were honestly and intentionally inviting would-be followers of Jesus to this kind of surrender? What if we were more clear and direct about the holy agony of self-denial? After all, in Matthew 20, Jesus says, Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? If we think of each church as a kind of vessel, as a kind of cup, what is the cup that that church is offering? We have spent a couple decades working to accommodate our neighbors' consumer desires with better youth programs, more comfortable furniture, more inspiring rock music and preaching, the church as a corner coffee shop or a community center. And now, I'm not saying that these means are totally bankrupt. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit has not or cannot use these things. I am, however, suggesting that if you go deeper into the love and life of Jesus, if you create time and space for Him, He will eventually come to you with loving tenderness. He will put a hand on your heart, touch your mind. Perhaps He will grab hold of your hands or your feet or your back. And He will point out to you certain things, certain attachments, certain ideas and habits, particular loves and desires. Through His love, He will put His finger on these things and ask you to let go. He wants us to die to these old ways so that new resurrection life can emerge in us. New, holy, good and right desires and habits will take shape in us. And so, one thing the church can do is provide us with soul shepherds to help us along on this journey. Today, we are in a desperate need for soul-tending pastors. The vocation of a pastor is vast. There are many different types, of course. Teachers, preachers, visionaries, prophets, kingdom builders, kingdom entrepreneurs, program development specialists, executives, and coaches. And some pastors are tasked with being many of these things all at once. However, the one core arena of pastoral ministry that we do not see much of today is a pastor as a shepherd, as a nurturer, the wise listener, the sage soul caregiver. In the space of this lack, I offer to you Trevor Hudson, a Methodist minister from Johannesburg, South Africa. 
In this spiritual conversation, Trevor describes his difficult vocational journey as a pastor, a journey of disappointment, frustration, of unlearning, letting go, relearning, and rediscovery. In his generous humility, Trevor confesses the sting and the ache of not realizing some of the dreams he thought God had given him for the church. In the midst of this vocational discernment, Trevor discovered the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The spiritual exercises have since become the core vocabulary of his ministry, not only offering the exercises to individuals, but also working with Jesuits in Johannesburg, training them to lead the exercises. In this conversation, Trevor and I talk about his journey of relinquishment, of dying to himself and rediscovering his vocation. We discuss the importance of staying close to our faith traditions, of going deeply within them, generously and robustly, without closing ourselves inside the parochial folds of our church buildings, our doctrines, our liturgies, that we might instead be open to more love of God and love of others. Trevor elaborates on his commitment to the Methodism of John and Charles Wesley and how that spirituality and theology led him to appreciate the help of Ignatius of Loyola and the exercises. Trevor especially inspires us to a commitment to take it real by making it local, as he says, that we might stay committed to a real people in a real place, in a real time, in a local church. In his patient, long obedience, Trevor has not built a church to be seen with our human eyes. He has instead learned the craft of soul care to help people navigate their hidden inner lives. And this is, to my understanding, the essence of the ministry of Jesus, an inner formation for the sake of transformation that changes the way we love, make choices, and serve others. Trevor was one of the three core lecturers from my doctoral program in spiritual direction at Fuller Seminary. Each year, I would try to arrive early enough at our study retreats so I could sign up for spiritual direction with him. But unfortunately, Trevor's sign-up sheet was always full. While he and I did not spend time in direction, I did get this conversation recorded with him last September 2017 in Malibu, And in the long obedience, this is the more valuable because I get to now share this conversation with you. And as always with the Invitation Podcast, the idea here is not so much to gain a head full of useful information. Ideas are well and good. As a lecturer, Trevor has considerable content to offer us, yet his greater gift is his warm, generous depth listen to and be affected by Trevor's kindness. Be encouraged and inspired. Amen.
Well, hello, Trevor. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Lovely to be with you. And thanks for uh, just thanks for the privilege of being able to have this conversation with you. And also, uh, I'd also like to greet whoever may be listening mm. uh, to this conversation that it, perhaps our conversation may be of help mm. out there. Mm. But thank you. Mm. <clears throat> so we are wrapping up our 10 days at our retreat with Fuller. And uh, we just listened to uh, a gentleman by the name of Kent Carlson, who made a, a real dramatic shift in his ministry trajectory from a large church model, seeker-sensitive model, to understanding uh, the, the deeper things, diving into Dallas Willard's writings. And um, so it struck me at listening to, to Kent that, Trevor, you might mm. have been in a similar journey as you moved out mm. of church leadership, mm -hmm. you're still involved in a church. Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit about how you're mm. a pastor mm -hmm. in a church, a Methodist church, but also mm. committed to Ignatian spirituality? Mm. Uh, as you said, uh, Josh, I am a Methodist minister uh, of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa. I um, became part of the, I entered into the ministry when I was 25, 26 years of age. And you know, did my um, training for six years. And then I was a senior pastor of a lead pastor of a community um, of Methodists in Kempton Park. Um, I'd always had a dream, uh, even through those years. And this dream had been nurtured by my involvement with a church in Washington called the Church of the Savior, which was a, a relatively small covenantal community that had a strong missional minister, a strong missional impact in the city of Washington to, to kind of uh, do something similar within South Africa, to, to kind of build a, um, a group, a, a covenantal community, a community that was bound together maybe by a rule of life and then a very strong missional emphasis in its, uh, in its neighborhood. Um, I, um, I was given permission to, to begin that. And so I took leave of the church, which uh, I had been part of for 10, 11 years. And then uh, in that in-between space, the permission was withdrawn. Uh, to plant that community. So I was in a little bit of a vocational crisis. Uh, I was 39 years of age, uh, and it was at that particular moment uh, in my own pilgrimage that I did the uh, exercises of St. Ignatius, which I didn't know too much about. Uh, I was just told, you know, you're in a time of decision-making. These exercises can be helpful to you in a time of decision-making. And it was during while doing the exercises that I had a, a real sense of, of being invited to leave um, to, 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 to leave the function of, um, of senior leadership within a community um, and to give the rest of my life to a, a ministry, centered in the formation of um, of folk. So, so I became part of a team uh, when I was 40 years of age of a community, a Methodist community, and so for the past 20, what, 27 years now, 
uh, have really just been involved in at a at a very local level um, in the um, in the ministry of 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 formation. So that's what I've been about mm-hmm. for for twenty seven years now. As I've heard you tell this story in the past, I, I, I never stopped to think. As I'm struck by now, was there a definite death of ego? Was it a painful uh, re- a surrender of of a dream? And I think you've mm-hmm. talked about that before, mm-hmm. but sure. could you speak about it, that? You know, yeah. I think the I think the sense. I, I, well, I, I faced a, a critical moment. What I could have done at that particular moment was to leave the Methodist Church mm-hmm. and still plant the community. Mm-hmm. But I had I I had a I've, I've took my ordination to a ministry of word and sacrament within the Methodist community with real seriousness. Mm-hmm and wanted to therefore stay within the community and almost submit myself at that moment to the wisdom of the leadership of the of the Methodist church who felt that they that it was not a good thing for me to go ahead and plant a um, a kind of covenantal Methodist mm-hmm. community and there was a sense at, of i think sadness of of um, a sense of a dream being given up a wondering God did I kind of, I really thought you wanted me to do this. Mm-hmm. So did I, have I got you wrong? Mm-hmm. So it had levels of, um, just levels of disappointment, uh, levels of, um, of real bewilderment. Mm-hmm. Um, God, what are you up to in mm-hmm. my life? Um, I think that the sense of loss or dying to self um, or letting go of a dream, I think that happened. That is, those experiences have strangely been subsequent to that initial moment of making a decision to step out of uh, leadership because I think over the past 27 years there have been quite a few times when I have felt I want to lead a community now Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and so now and then I have felt a little bit of a a sense of of loss that Mm -hmm. I you know I can't point to any community and say I was involved in the uh, creation of that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing I can point to mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't point to uh, an organisation that I founded or a church that I, you know, that I was part of its development of. So it's been a, you know, it's 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 been a journey mm-hmm. uh, of of giving up, but also really of embracing. Uh, what I, what God has given me in terms of a ministry of, of getting alongside people, uh, with their relationship with God, and seeking to, uh, to to facilitate that mm-hmm. relationship in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the way you speak to this, in such a gentle and loving way, underneath it is this horrifying reality that we're here to follow our Lord and that he sometimes asks us to do things that don't make any sense 
that seems severe. And, uh, you know, we can use Abraham and Isaac as the, the motif, the, mm. the trope for sure. that. Um, mm. And so not to become morbid, mm. but sure. the classic spirituality of the purgative to the eliminative mm. to the unitive that there's always, if we are really listening, and just like Kent Carlson was talking about, if we're really pursuing the Spirit of God in our lives, then there's just going to be a disorientation. Mm. And the death. So I, I see the fruit of that disorientation in your ministry that I am now helping to lead Ignatian exercises sure. because of the gift of your decision well, to die. What was that, the well, 90s? Right. <laughs> 1990 was the time yeah. of, of, of uh, thinking again, reflecting mm-hmm. on what is the shape of mm-hmm. my own pastoral vocation mm-hmm. going to look like? Yeah. And that step away from a formal leadership of mm-hmm. a uh, of a community to a um, to a more um, focused ministry mm-hmm. on people's growth in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in particular ways. I, I've been using. Uh, various Catholic and Eastern Orthodox sources on the Invitation podcast. And uh, it strikes me that you might be a particularly pastoral voice as you have been a Methodist and embracing all these relationships with um, Catholic um, uh, teachers and and pastors. What do you say to this conversation? How would you, Mm -hmm. if there was somebody in your church that was, wondering why in the world are we turning to, sure. to Rome for these things? What would you say? Sure, sure. I think, well, again, let me just uh, share a little bit of my own story. Uh, my own church belonging, as I've mentioned, has been within the Methodist family. So I guess the first loud voice uh, in my own formation as a follower of Christ uh, were the voices of John and Charles Wesley. So my Wesleyan roots uh, and my understanding of the faith, um, they they go very closely together. Um, I think there have been two other voices very loud in my own experience, uh, and and I'll respond now directly to your question, was that uh, in the mid-'80s meeting... um, uh, encountering the the writings of Dallas Willard and then meeting Dallas in person, having him come to South Africa four or five times. Um, I think Dallas's gift to me was to really focus my my thinking around uh, what is the gospel and what is discipleship. And he brought those two uh, themes of Christian faith very clearly before me. And and I think also encouraged me to to see through history, uh, throughout history, the history of the church, who have been people who have really, um, really been faithful to God, and in whom we see um, Christ present and at work. Mm-hmm. So I became, you know, I became interested in uh, just church history and uh, the, the, those times in church history when God seemed to be particularly at work. 
And that coincided with, as I've mentioned uh, earlier, my doing the exercises. I knew nothing about Ignatius. I was simply told uh, that it, doing the exercises of, of Ignatius could be a good thing. Um, and the exercises became a, uh, a means by which not only did I make a very important decision, uh, but it was also the means of of it was a school of discipleship for me um, that came just at the right time. Um, and so I knew that in the exercises um, there was a treasure here. And I wanted to drill down quite deeply into this treasure. So why have I looked to... Um, something outside of my own Wesleyan Protestant route. Well, it's a treasure. It's a treasure that um, has been given to the Christian church. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things I'll always be grateful for is that those who are custodians of this treasure, uh, particularly the Jesuit family, um, have been really generous. Uh, they haven't hoarded this treasure to themselves. Uh, they've offered this treasure to the Christian church. And so it's been for me a, a real joy uh, in terms of learning from them um, about, about the exercises, how to give them, how to share them. And so much of my, uh, much of my, my life at the moment in South Africa, about um, 40 days a year, is given now uh, to work, in fact, with the Jesuit Institute in terms of the formation of people who uh, are wanting to um, to give the exercises to others. Uh, Dallas Willard, interestingly, and as you know, Dallas stands, I guess, within broadly speaking the kind of evangelical tradition of the of the church. Uh, Dallas describes the exercises as perhaps one of the best. Um, uh, curriculums for Christ-likeness that he's come across, provided it is adapted to the um, uh, to the circumstances. And I think there are adaptations that non-Catholics need to make uh, when we do the exercises. Um, but that those adapt we can make those adaptations and still keep the integrity of the exercises alive. So I do, um, I do to anyone who's listening in, I really do want to, um, to recommend the exercises. I'm, I'm intrigued, for example, you know, this movie that's just come out, um, uh, silence. Um, and I think one of the actors, uh, Andrew Garfield of, of no particular religious backdrop, but been taken through the exercises in preparation for his role in the movie, you know, just speaks of a real sense of, of encounter with Jesus uh, through the exercises. Um, and so I had, I just, when I listened to him on YouTube the other day, I just had a sense of, you know, God really being at work in a, in a kind of raw way um, and meeting people where they are and uh, people coming into a knowledge of his living, of God's living, rea Christ's living reality uh, in their lives. Yeah, the um, the imaginative space that Ignatius invites us into, the gospel and the figures of the gospel, is 
changed my life. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what would you say about your going deep in John and Charles Wesley maybe formed you right. to be open right. to Thank Ignatius? Mm. I think, uh, you know, we uh, Methodists are often accused of kind of, uh, you know, we don't have our, all our doctrines set out, etc., cetera, um, very clearly. But there are some things that we're very strong on mm. and um, – and I just think of the four kind of um, sentences that we often that we often use to describe what we're about. That all people, all people need to be saved. Uh, uh, all people can be saved. Mm. All people can know that they are saved, and all people can be saved to the uttermost. Mm. And I think John Wesley's um, John and Charles's Wesley's um, genius for me was how there was a seamless thread between the experiences of regeneration, mm. justification, and sanctification. Um, that, that, um, th that, that these experiences were an integral whole. Mm. Um, and so that, I think, gave me a a kind of um, imagination to see the importance of salvation certainly being far more than only having your sins forgiven. Mm -hmm. But that salvation, while certainly it did include mm -hmm. our sins being forgiven, salvation was really a journey into the heart and life of God, mm -hmm. starting with regeneration in uh, involving justification and then the processes of sanctification. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, John and Charles Wesley, um, I think um, with that understanding of salvation, uh, it was really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the um, other uh, treasure of my own uh, uh, heritage is, you know, the um, insistence that... Um, that we receive grace, uh, not passively, mm -hmm. um, that the experience of grace, um, of experiencing God's grace each day as an empowerment in our life, uh, that there are means by which that grace enters our lives. And so John and Charles Wesley really joining together faith and works mm -hmm. um, that you know that as we invest our lives in certain certain means or methods uh, methods methods mm -hmm. methodists like right. methods um, that grace meets us mm -hmm. and flows into our life right. so in that sense i was also that gave me a, an openness mm -hmm. i think to seeing the relationship between um between grace and works mm -hmm. uh, in in a in a pilgrim's life. Mm -hmm. So I hear you. The resonance is a pastor who wants to work out this transform transformation with a group of people. Right. Yeah. And you've had this longing for that right. at different times within a established congregation, right. but instead, the Spirit is led you in a path to fulfill this uh, work, the, the Wesleys were giving you a, right. a, a, a vision for, ironically, fulfilled through an Ignatian sense of, 
of the exercise, so we could think about the Methodist method, holy clubs, the practical practice, and then the, uh, I think Ignatius is kind of like a, a, a gym uh, coach, like, like sure. you're going to go into the gym. Sure. He's going to get you exercising. <laughs> and you show up and there's Ignatius saying, let's try this. Uh, let's try. Uh, so uh, you're getting to uh, do that, working sure. it out with people through these Ignatian exercises. Right. Right, and, and 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 as I say, you know, all this work since 1990 mm-hmm. has it's all happened within the local congregation. Mm-hmm. My my, I, I've always I always say to myself mm-hmm. and to others that if you want to make anything real, mm-hmm. you've got to make it local. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. You know that I have to start where I am, and so it's been an immense joy uh, over these past 27 years. Um, with obvious moments of frustration and mm-hmm. disappointment and disillusionment and a sense of I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything big. Mm. Um, but the absolute privilege of just being involved uh, with, um, with people within the local congregation who are desiring to follow Christ more faithfully, grow in their discipleship, uh, enter into a more transformative experience of God in their life within the context of mm. South Africa. Within, mm. so it's not a privatized uh, kind of, it's not a privatized kind of piety mm. at all. Mm. Um, and and certainly my Methodist roots and certainly Ignatius as well would insist that um, our faith, our relationship with uh, with Christ, while it is, mm. uh, it is personal. It is certainly never never private. Mm. And that it always needs to be fleshed out mm. uh, within the, you know, everyday contexts mm. of home and family and work and country. And of course, if we had time, we could talk. And I know Nathan Foster has probed you some on this in his conversations in the Run of Honor podcast about your understanding of the the working out of that as particularly in the, the story of South Africa. Sure, and, sure. and I will put that as a pin for mm-hmm. those of you to put that into mind, um, to think about all that has been going, has gone on mm-hmm. there and then what's happening in America right now. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, so there's a lot to be said, but within that, what would you say, uh, you know, what, how could you distill uh, uh, part of the exercises to for someone who's never participated? What about mm-hmm. Ignatian spirituality would you recommend to us as a way to start understanding what Ignatius has to teach us if we don't have the occasion to do the exercises, the 30-day mm-hmm. or the yeah. 19th annotation? Uh, oh, that's... Um, It's not an easy question for me to respond to be, because at one at, at one real level I, I don't know mm. how best I think but let me give it a shot um, it, it it may be interesting to go watch a movie mm. like silence mm. um, get a DVD mm-hmm. and you know you get a little bit of the flavor of uh, Ignatian spirituality mm-hmm. in that movie the commitment to mission the exercises the camaraderie mm-hmm. uh, maybe even the older film uh, the mission mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know the, mm-hmm. that so you get a sense of the I think the I think the major ingredient of Ignatian spirituality is that it is it's a apostolic spirituality. Mm. It's active. Mm. It's practical. 
Um, so they are seeking to be, and I use a bit of a catchphrase here from the uh, from the Ignatian tradition. They're seeking to be contemplatives in action. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they they they're not an enclosed order. Mm-hmm. Their life with God is lived out in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first. That's the first. Um, real theme of Ignatian spirituality um, that I think people can begin to think about. And, yeah. and I say by watching those movies mm-hmm. uh, could be helpful. I think most, if, if you want a book, sure. um, I think the it's, it's winsomely written. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it is the book by uh, Martin, mm-hmm. um, a Jesuit's guide to almost everything. Mm-hmm. And that gives one just um, a very winsome introduction mm-hmm. to how to how Ignatian spirituality um, touches mm-hmm. every aspect of our work mm-hmm. and our life mm-hmm. and our decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really presents um, the uh, their way of being with Christ mm-hmm. and being with God in a in a very helpful mm-hmm. uh, in a very helpful way. So I hear you saying this is not about a technique. Sure. Um, oh, absolutely. We can't just kind of no, take absolutely. a practical thing. No. We really right, right. to do do right. justice to right. Ignatius is right. to try to look uh, over his shoulder right, right. and see yeah. what he saw in a larger, right. Right. comprehensive way. Right. I'm always a little bit cautious, and I think you've most probably picked this up. I'm mm-hmm. always a little bit cautious about reducing everything to a kind of spiritual mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think you know the best way to. Um, to like enter into this particular stream mm-hmm. of spirituality, you know, I, I think is you know get to know the man, mm-hmm. read his autobiography, yeah. uh, get the broad eye, mm-hmm. thirty thousand feet view, mm-hmm. rather than to say Ignatian spirituality is, and then tie it down to one or two isolated mm-hmm. uh, practices, yeah. which I think would be unhelpful. Yeah, I the analogy that's coming to mind, I. I've taught this course, the language and meaning of popular music, and I'm astounded by how many students just listen to a particular song. Mm. And so in that course, I invite them to listen to a whole record Mm. (laughs) in one sitting, Mm. get Mm. to know the whole work of an artist or a band. And so, uh, yeah, some of my friends had their their Beatles phase Mm. where they just immersed themselves in the whole catalog of the Beatles. And so Mm. that might be a a Mm. spiritual discipline to Mm. think instead of just kind of a one-off of this bit, but just discern if you are a place where you sense there's a, there's, it's time for something different to try to stretch mm, yourself. Right. So maybe right. open yourself to uh, maybe just a video would right. be a good way to uh, uh, dip your toe right. in, right. in the water right. to see if that's right. something calling you. Right. So. I think it's, you know, for me, uh, Josh, it's, it's, um, and I learn, I've learned this from, uh, from Dallas. It's that relationship between treasure and vessel. Mm-hmm. You know, the treasure of our faith mm-hmm. is uh, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. God's revelation in Christ to us, bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, we're invited to share the, the life of God and to participate in the life that God wants to give us in Christ. And that's the treasure. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of have vessels um, that, 
and 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 every vessel has its treasures and gifts and its flaws and its mm. cracks mm. and there's no perfect vessel but i do think that that while we stay very close to the treasure usually we find a vessel that helps us to get into that treasure you know a wesleyan vessel or an ignatian vessel or a uh, a franciscan vessel etc um and it's not to say that it's the best um but it's a, it's a way mm-hmm. of um it's a way in which we really explore mm-hmm. the uh, wonder of the treasure mm-hmm. yeah you encouraged me in year 1 and you said josh pick a tradition <laughs> and go deep in it right. and i've wrestled with that okay. um okay. i love that uh i think it's largely because and i've said this before um being a worship musician sure. the church doesn't know quite how to steward right. worship artists right and so i've had oh. to somewhat float and be um be able to speak a couple different languages right sure um saw ordination three different times mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. never came up came about. So there's wounding with that. And I know mm-hmm. that people that are listening would would think okay, I'm going to find a vessel but it like just in my own experience it's it's loaded mm-hmm. and sure. And so we want to honor sure. that but I hope that uh what I what I hear you've always said is don't just skim the surface right, right, of this. Right. can we go deep enough so that it actually sticks right. in us sure. and changes right. us and can we trust that as we go down deep mm-hmm. when we, you know that the deeper we go we are beginning to touch the treasure where all the other streams mm-hmm. are the other vessels are flowing in so there's a sense in which we discover mm-hmm. that we really are kindred spirits mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. as we you know as we explore this mm-hmm. treasure together uh, mm-hmm. in our lives mm-hmm. and and i think we do sometimes or certainly i do uh, i think sometimes we have a kind of fear of missing out you mm-hmm. know if i don't explore right. that and what am i going to lose out yeah. on uh, i just you know i've just had that experience now you know with on the faculty you know listening to to chris hall talk about the desert dwellers and and then especially when he was speaking um you know about in the desert tradition the life of Matthew the poor uh, i found myself really attracted mm-hmm. you know to Matthew the poor and i thought to myself i want to get to know this guy mm-hmm. and and then i i've got to check myself mm-hmm. and say trevor do you have time to do this mm-hmm. um and so it's a kind of discerning thing mm-hmm. you know do do i keep going down mm-hmm. do i start a new journey and uh, and i think Yeah everyone has to make their own discernments mm-hmm. around this I don't I think I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a, a legalism mm-hmm. around this sure. but I am on the side yeah. of of really going down I th- many years ago someone gave me the image of you know we can either be a pot plant mm-hmm. um all our life mm-hmm. um just going just kind of pot plants and or we can really mm-hmm. get into the soil mm-hmm. and go down and uh that for me was a that was a a word for me that and and an image that um it 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 keeps me going down mm. yeah mm. 
So ironically, I'd go to Carmelite spirituality. Mm, please, to, go there. Uh, no, go there. Mm. When I hear you, you uh, speaking, John of the Cross is... Mm, um, I know you like him. Concern, I do. His concern, he calls it a, a spiritual lust. Mm, sure, and, um, sure. You know, sure, that we would sure, sure. Um, just want... Sure. The candy. Mm, sure. And so that's that skimming, this mm, greed. Mm. Oh, I'm going to go read this. Mm, sure. I'm going to go dip into this. Right. It's tantamount to church hopping. No, sure. But with traditions. And then we have all the books on our shelves, mm. but we haven't actually read them. Sure. And not, not, and that, I say that even to myself. This is not, again, condemnation, mm. but to right. listen to your experience right. of what is, and this would be Ignatius to go back, right. <laughs> what is calling you right. and, sure. and and you're, uh, you're just being honest. There's something more for me. And I heard you say last night to just spend uh, time with more of Dallas, Dallas Willard and, right. and with Ignatius right. and, uh, and integrate right. those two yeah. voices. Right. Mm. And I really hope out of that to, you know, in the way that I have a sense of the of the of of the Lord drawing me or calling me to you know, in a kind of South African accent as it were, mm. to to share what comes out of mm. of that um of that study and not only study, but that exploration. Mm. And, and all the uh, exercise that is associated with that. Well, Trevor Hudson, I really thank you for your time. And uh, even though this is the end of our study for these three years, I hope mm. there's a way to stay in touch. I hope so too. And uh, thanks so much for the privilege. It mm. really is a privilege just to be asked to have a conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Amen. Our deeper hunger is not for a bigger, more comfortable, or interesting church. We are famished for the sacred presence of God. So let's intercede. Let's pray and ask the Father to help us steward the vessels of this holy treasure. In the vein of Richard Foster's introduction to his book, Celebration of Discipline, the desperate need today is not for more intelligent or gifted pastors, but for more deep pastors, pastors who can help us navigate the holy agony of going deeper into Jesus' love. And so, I pray that Trevor Hudson has appropriately inspired you to a hope for the church. Even in the glaring revelations of her weaknesses and failures, the church is the bride of Christ. We can easily get lost in the heartaches over the church and its leaders today. Yet these struggles are not new. The Apostle Paul, St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. John of the Cross, were all imprisoned because they were offering people access to the freedom of Jesus. 
we can discern a church vessel is broken when it is threatened by this freedom. Consider the many saints who have been persecuted by their own religious leaders and even by their own families. In thinking of St. Francis of Assisi and his followers, once they had established the rule of life and become a tangible vessel, a thing, St. Francis was betrayed by his own brothers, and there is every reason to believe that it was the rough, careless way they treated him in their betrayal that led to his sickness and early death at the age of 44. The church is and has always been deeply flawed. And so now what do we do? Or rather, where do we go? To whom do we turn? Where do you go in the face of disappointment and confusion? What happens to you when your friends and family fail you? Where do you turn when you struggle to trust your faith leaders? Or what if you're on a faith journey like Trevor and suddenly the ground changes beneath your feet? How do you then hang on? When certain doors that had been open are then later shut, what do you tell yourself? What explanations do you come up with? What do you say to God? This is not what I thought it would be. I am not who I thought I would be. You turn out to not be the God I thought you were. I thought you were leading me here to this place, but now everything has changed. Things have not turned out the way I thought they would. What are you doing, God? What do you want from me? What are you asking me to relinquish? As many of us experience this kind of bewilderment, we turn this fall to finding ways to consider our spiritual growth in the vocabulary of desert spirituality. It seems that the church in North America is struggling in a wilderness. Yes, it is a struggle, yet we know that the wilderness, that the desert experience is exactly the time and space where the Spirit can test us, teach us, prune us, and cleanse us. If you find yourself in a desert, I pray the invitation can serve as a safe place for you to find nourishment and hope for you on the journey ahead.
And so now the question, what is the Spirit inviting you to? What is your next step closer to following Jesus by faith today and tomorrow? So with the invitation now becoming a not-for-profit, we are getting closer and closer to a launch of our fundraising season. The way these things work best is if the invitation can gain not just your financial support, but also your spiritual friendship. We need your partnership and getting the word out. I've been offering this podcast for two years without any funding. That has been a kind of soft launch. Now that the invitation is a nonprofit, the fundraising season of this fall and into the winter is more of our hard launch. And to make that definite turn, we need your help. So this is the way this will work. By November, we hope to have a Kickstarter campaign up and running. Please contribute to that campaign, but invite others to listen to the podcast and to contribute also. The Kickstarter will cover a capital budget. Then after the dust settles from that, the prayer is that many of you will roll over to become long-term supporters to contribute to the Invitations Operations budget. So if you've thought, you know, the Invitation is nice, it's been helpful, I'm getting some help from it, now is the time for you to look through the website to become more familiar If you haven't yet, subscribe to our newsletters, and then you'll get updates of when new episodes are released or new retreats, classes are being offered. Listen to some more of the episodes. Discover the connection between spiritual direction and what I'm doing in the prison prayer practices. Reach out to me. Ask some questions. And I'm even looking to find my way into your home to sit down with you and some of your people for an hour and a half just to pray and discuss these spiritual things of formation. This is going to be an exciting season of learning and discovery, but I can't do this without you. I need you to get on board and to come along with me. Thanks kindly to those of you who are writing in to say hello. I love, love, love hearing from you. And also thanks especially to those who are already making financial donations. It is truly an honor and a delight to serve you in this retreat as a spiritual director. Being with people in the presence of God this way is truly, as my oldest son used to say, my favorite thing to do. As you and I create this time and space, we can truly leave saying, surely God has been in this place. And now, may the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. 
Amen。